0: Well, good morning again. Thanks so much for joining us. Real quick, I gotta do a clarification for those watching online. I got a text earlier. These pants are not leather. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with the lighting and the live stream, but these are jeans just so we're all on the same page. Okay, Uh, I am excited this morning. Uh, excited to be finishing up our series. We've been three weeks on uh, the verse Ephesians 2.10, which is kind of where our name is rooted in. We are God's canvas, his poema created um, for good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Um, and I wasn't here last week. Two weeks ago, Matt did a really good job of staying to his few words. And he, he looked at me a couple times and said, ah, that's Ryan's, I'll leave it alone. And then I wasn't here last week, and I don't know if you noticed this or not, but he preached the entire chapter last week. Did anybody else realize that? He preached the entire chapter. So, if, if any of this is review, it's not my fault. Matt slid it in under the rug when I wasn't here. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, excited to finish up as we focus on this last part of Ephesians 2.10. Let's read it out loud, and then I'll pray, and we'll hop into it. It says, For we are his canvas created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Some say created anew in Christ Jesus unto good works which God has prepared in advance that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for this letter from Paul to the church at Ephesus encouraging them to to live into all that you were calling them to be. We're thankful for the specific text that gives us so much rich theology for our salvation, helps us to understand who we are as individuals and as the church, and gives us a vision for our lives that are that is bigger than ourselves. May we catch that vision this morning. May we realize that the kingdom of God is so much bigger than ourselves, but that we get to play a unique part in it. God, for your glory and for our good, it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Quick question for you, uh, crowd participation. Do me a favor, raise your hand if you like puzzles. Anybody like to do jigsaw puzzles? Keep your hand up really quickly. Everybody, look around. The people with their hands in the air are people that I will never be friends with. You can put your, you can put your hands down. You can put your hands down. I'm just kidding. That's terrible. No, I really don't like jigsaw puzzles. I just, I can't get into it for whatever reason. But Marissa's family, they're obsessed with it. We go on family vacation. And they bring multiple jigsaw puzzles, and any time we have downtime, they are doing these jigsaw puzzles, and I refuse to participate. It's just like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to be a part of it. I don't like it. We. What's the point? You put it together, and then what do you do with it at the end? You take it apart, and you put it back in the box. And it's like, what, what are we doing, right? <laughs> um, not only are Marissa's family obsessed with puzzles, but my grandparents have recently really gotten into jigsaw puzzles, and the cool thing about that for them is... They'll actually get custom-printed jigsaw puzzles with, like, family pictures and stuff like that. And they'll put these puzzles together, and they'll frame the puzzles, and they'll put it up. And it's cool because it's, like, pictures of the family. They get they did it together, got it framed. Like, I can get down with that. That's a little bit more, like, meaningful. And so every once in a while, not because I like puzzles, but because I'm a good grandchild, I will pretend to help with the jigsaw puzzles. I'll sit down with my grandma and, like, you know, shuffle the pieces around. But what I'm not doing is looking for where the pieces go. I'm not going to go that far. I'll I'll put my hands on a couple of pieces. And I remember uh, the last time I did this pretending to help with the puzzle pieces with my grandma, we got the entire thing done. They got the entire thing done, uh, except for one piece. There was one, my mom's laughing because she remembers this story. There was one piece missing, and we could not find this piece anywhere. We flipped the house upside down. We moved rugs. We moved couches. We looked everywhere for this piece because it's a custom piece, right? Like you can't, we're going to frame this, but you can't frame it with a piece missing. Um, and so I remember a couple weeks later, my grandma called me laughing, like hysterically. And she was doing something around the house, and she'd stuck her hand in her apron pocket, and the puzzle piece had fallen into her apron pocket. Pocket, and she was able to complete the puzzle, and and frame it and put it up. And I tell this story because I think it's a helpful illustration for Paul's main point at the end of Ephesians chapter two, verse ten. See, I think Paul is saying that collectively, as a group of believers, we all have a job to play in creating this picture that God has designed for his church, I would summarize my main point of this entire message this way. I would say that every believer has a part to play in showing God off to the world. Every believer has a part to play in showing God off to the world. Each, each of you got a puzzle piece when you came in, hopefully. Um, and if you didn't, then you're going to miss out on a fun illustration that we're doing. But... Uh, If you got this puzzle piece, you also got a uniquely colored crown. Did you know that Crayola makes enough unique colored crowns that all of you can have a different crown? My illustration was really going to fall apart if they didn't have that many crowns, but they do. So each of you, you have a unique crown. I feel bad for the person that got like brown. Um, Sorry about that. Some of you might have like metallic glitter. There's a lot of fun stuff going on, radical red. Um, And so throughout this message, as I'm sharing, I'd invite you to just kind of If you get bored, doodle, color on that custom, or on that puzzle piece of that custom color. And and my goal is that at the end, we'll talk about it, but at the end, I hope that you have that whole thing colored in. As we think about this illustration that every believer has a part to play in showing God off to the world. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says that God created us anew in Christ Jesus so that... We can do good things that he planned for us. And I think the grammar here is important. Um, Matt talked about it two weeks ago, but the grammar is plural. It's written to the church at Ephesus. Paul is saying, all of you believers at Ephesus, you all have good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. This is a a plural idea. I would say that it actually, I think it has three parts. I think... Paul, yes, he's writing specifically to the church at Ephesus. But I think when he's writing to the church at Ephesus, he's thinking about the entire church all around. He's saying that there is one bride of Christ, and the bride of Christ has good works that God has prepared in advance for them to do. And then I think you funnel that down. Not only does the one bride of Christ have good works that God prepared in advance for them to do, but each local expression of that bride of Christ. The church at Ephesus, the church at Rome, the church at Corinth, the church at Galatia, all of these churches, the church in Winchester, we have good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And I think I don't think it's too far of a stretch to take that down to the individual level and say not only do we, as the bride of Christ, every believer, um, you have friends that are uh, Methodist and Lutheran and catholic that would submit themselves to the lordship of jesus all of us have a part to play in building god's kingdom and then us in this building at canvas community church we have good works that god prepared in advance for us to do but then on the granular granular level you as individuals you have good works which god prepared in advance for you to do that only you can do you have a unique set of skills and experiences and circles of influence and god has prepared good works for you to do. So, we're going to spend the rest of our time focusing on the individual level, but I think it's important that we put that in its context. Yes, it's important that you and I figure out the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do, but we should not do them apart from the context of our church and and without realizing that God is at work in his bride. Does that make sense? I think far too often in the American church, we individualize our relationship with Jesus. And we say, yeah, God's got good works for me to do, but I can do them apart from the church. I've talked to so many Christians who have walked away from the church and say, I haven't given up on Jesus, I've just given up on the church. And that, that is disobedience. God has called us to do this thing together, and no, it's not perfect. Yes, we are a mess, and we are filled with broken people, but God has called us to do this thing together. You should not be doing your good works apart from the church. God has called us to do that. And then what I I think tends to happen too in the, this is a soapbox. It's not really a part of the message, but I'm going to step on it really quick and then get down. Um, Thanks for the encouragement. I appreciate that. So I think, again, local churches have good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. And what tends to happen is we tend to Gravitate toward churches that are doing things that we're passionate about, that we're excited about, and then we look at other local churches in our city and in our community, and they're doing a unique good work that God has called them to do. But we do this comparison game thing, where we're like, "Well, we're really we're really the church. We're preaching the Bible verse by verse. We're teaching God's word." And those people, they do topical message series. Can you can believe that they don't care about God's word. They're always they're just trying to attract people into the building and, and like. And then we like, well, we, we take care of the homeless here at our church, and, and they, like, they care about, they do SPCA outreach. Like, don't they know that image bearers of God are more important than animals? Like, we do this thing, right? Like, and I'm, I'm using really vague examples, but we do this thing where we – Get into a church that we like, and that is a good thing. But may we not be a church that looks outside our walls and casts judgment at other local expressions that are doing the good work that God prepared for them to do. May we join together like puzzle pieces, building the kingdom of God in the city of Winchester with our unique expressions of those good works. May that be our focus. All right. That's off. I'm off the soapbox. Okay. So, um, one of the first things that I hear when I talk to individual believers about the good works that God has prepared for them to do is what I call the ministry excuse. <laughs> the ministry excuse. You ever heard this on that? People will say, well, you're, you're in ministry. You're a pastor. You're supposed to do the good works, right? And I'm just, I'm here. I come, and I put money in the plate, and I, I come on a regular basis. And I'm, I'm here to encourage you and cheer you on. I haven't been called into ministry. You've been called into ministry. God has good works for you, and I'm just a cheerleader. Anybody ever felt that way? Heard that said out loud? And I would just say, you're wrong. Sorry. (laughs) Actually, it's funny. Church leadership, ministry positions, is like the one thing that scripture tends to try and talk people out of. It's like the Bible is like, not many of you should be those people. (laughs) Like, there's, there's way more things to do. Not many of you should be those people, and then he gives a list of qualifications to try and, like, rule people out. Like, nope, 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 nope. And it's, it's because God has good works for all of us to do specifically. If we if we were to use the puzzle analysis, pastors, we're the most visible. We're on stage, right? Worship leaders, the people that are up on stage. And what's the most visible pieces in the puzzle? Corners, right? The corner pieces. Like, it, that. I don't do puzzles. Remember, I'm bad at puzzles. But when I do... Do puzzles. I grab the corner pieces and the edge pieces. Eric, I did say do do. Yes, I I knew somebody was gonna get it. Sorry, but but the edge pieces, the corner pieces, they're the most obvious. They're the most visible, but they're often the most boring, (laughs) right? They got the least amount of color. And I think that I use that illustration because my good works are clearly laid out in Ephesians 4. My good works are to equip you to do your good works, and so that's boring. I mean, I love it, but for a lot of you, you're like, "Oh, that's like, it's where we get in the middle, where the colors start to explode, and where you have really unique gifts and skills, and you get to, you get to imagine what God might be doing in your life." I don't get to imagine as much because my my thing is pretty laid out. Equip the saints to do the work of ministry. Now, there's some creativity in that, but I often hear Christians say, "I'm not called." ministry, but every believer has a part to play in showing God off to the world. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have been called into ministry. You have a specific job to play in showing God off to the world. 1 Peter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's special possession that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful Lights. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have been called into ministry. You have something unique to bring to the table. You have unique personality, skill set, spiritual gifts, circles of influence. We're going to talk about that more. But God has prepared good works for you that you should walk in them. So the first excuse I hear is the ministry excuse. The second excuse that I hear from Christians when talking about the good works that God has prepared for in advance for them is man, God God can't use me. God doesn't want to use me. I'm too much of a mess. I've messed up too many times. I've had too many opportunities and I've failed over and over and over again. And so many Christians they want to sit themselves on the sidelines. They want to put themselves on the bench because of their past failures and because of their fear of their future mistakes. And to those people I would just respond, Have you read your Bible lately? And and, I, and if you haven't, it's, it's okay. Like, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to remind you that the Bible is filled with people who messed up all the time. On repeat, over and over and over again. And God still chose to use those people for his kingdom purposes. David was a murderer and an adulterer, and God called him a man after his own heart. Paul, who wrote a majority of the New Testament, was murdering Christians. There was a demon-possessed man that Jesus healed, and the demon-possessed man's like, all right, now I need to follow you and learn about you. And Jesus is like, nope, you're going to go do ministry. Immediately, right after being demon-possessed, Jesus heals him and sends him to proclaim the gospel. Peter, Jesus' closest friend, denied Christ three times. Jesus restored him and and said, you're going back to work. You're going to feed my sheep. My small group, we we have a running joke that there's actually, outside of Jesus, there's one guy in the Bible who's like, they call good, and it's Enoch, and he has one verse, and it's like, Enoch was good, so we took him up to heaven because we didn't need him, right? It's like, God doesn't need good people. He doesn't need people that feel confident and equipped. He needs our brokenness. He's going to work through our brokenness. He's going to recreate us in Christ Jesus, so that our good works flow out of who Jesus is and what he's doing in us and not our own strengths and abilities. I love how Matt Chandler says it. He says that God will weaponize your weakness for his kingdom purposes. God wants to weaponize the thing that you're most ashamed about, the thing that you're hiding from everyone else in the room, the sin that you just can't seem to get over, the complacency that... You just can't seem to overcome. God wants to use your weakness. He wants to recreate you in Christ and send you out to do good works. I love what Paul says. Paul lays this out in First Timothy. He says, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. Paul says, God saved me because I was the worst. He wanted to show to the rest of the world that there's not you can't go too far and outrun God's grace. For that reason, I was shown mercy that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. If you're in here and you felt that, that that temptation comes back, the enemy seeks to lie to you and tell you you've failed too many times, you've had too many opportunities. God wants to use those in a unique way to build his kingdom in your circle of influence. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been called into ministry. You have a unique part to play in what God is doing. I don't care if you're broke, divorced, homeless, an alcoholic, a workaholic, a gossip, or any other type of tax collector or sinner. You pick your poison. You fill in the blank with the thing that you struggle with the most. God is not going to disqualify you because of your failure. He's going to use you in spite of your brokenness. God wants to restore your brokenness for your good and for his glory. Listen to how Paul says it in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I, so you could put in you there, you have been crucified. You're dead. If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you have died with Christ, and it's no longer your weakness that has power, it's Christ's victory through his resurrection that lives through you. And the life that you now live, you live in light of that resurrection power. We've been crucified with Christ. God wants to use our weakness to build his kingdom. Okay, hopefully by now we've, we've got that. We understand that there are, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, there are good works that God wants to do. In and through you, and if you're in here and you're not sure where you're at with Jesus, man, like I hope that this is a I hope that this is a vision that you're grasping onto. I think so many people who are outside of the Christian faith they look at the Christian faith as something that, that takes from them, that makes their life more boring or more difficult. They have rules that they have to follow, and there's all of these things that, that God's like robbing them of joy. But this is what the salvation of God is all about. It's about creating us new and giving us a purpose to to not just serve ourselves, not just to be served, but to serve, to follow the example of Jesus. And if you're here and you're living just for yourself, man, doesn't it get exhausting? Doesn't it get tiring to just live for yourself all the time? We we hear the cliche phrase all the time that it's better to give than to receive. But we don't live our lives like that. If you're outside of the faith, you probably often think about how you can benefit yourself and climb your ladder and build your life. And it might seem like that's the better way to live in the moment, but you're not going to look back 30 years from now and say, man, I'm so glad I've been investing in myself for this long. (laughs) Salvation is not just about where you go when you die, but it's about what you do with your time, energy, and resources right now. It's about what kingdom you're living for. So, hopefully we're, we're tracking with that. So, what what's the point of these good works? If if I get it. Yeah, every believer has a part to play. Now, what is this part? What are these good works? What should they be doing? Um, what's the point of good We really have two big questions we still have to tackle. What's the point of the good works? And how can I know what they are for me? First, I'd say the point. The point is specific revelation. Um, two weeks ago, Matt mentioned that this word, "poema," uh, masterpiece, right, that it is only used one other place in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 1, and it's used of creation. And in Romans chapter 1, what, what Paul is saying in creation is Paul is saying that creation is actually revealing to a watching world what God is like that God has intentionally created. That you see the sunset, and you see nature, and you see waves crashing on the ocean, and you see mountains and snow, and all of it is to display that God is powerful, incredibly creative. It's it's generally revealing who God is and what he's like to the watching world. That's step one of his masterpiece. We are step two. We build off of that general revelation, and we are there to proclaim specific revelation. We have a relationship with God, and we are there to tell others how they can have a relationship with God and what that relationship is like. People can see in nature the beauty, the power, and the creativity of God, but it is our job to take that abstract revelation and make it specific. Matt and his wife were at Yellowstone this summer. I'm sure that you had conversations with people who were amazed by the incredible creation of God, but that incredible creation of God is not going to reveal to them how they can have a relationship with God. Matt can take that knowledge, that information that they have about the all and wonder of the beauty of creation, and he can say, let me tell you about the God who made all of that. That is what our good works are for. Our good works are to take that step one of creation. God is beautiful and creative. And to declare to people that God wants a relationship with them. I listen to this golf podcast. It's weird. I'm a weirdo. Um, but there's one guy, and they never talk about golf. It's a golf podcast that never talks about golf, which can get frustrating at times, but anyway. There's one guy, he's obsessed with space. All he ever talks about is like when NASA tweets pictures of the universe and like he's like so close. Like, he always talks about how small he feels in the immensity of the universe. And it's, it's God's masterpiece. It's his creation screaming to Frankie, God's here. You're not alone. Your life is more important than just these few years that you have on earth. But creation can't get him to that point. It can make him have all of these questions, but he needs a follower of Jesus to step in and to make that specific. God is calling every follower of Jesus to good works that show a watching world that God is a God of righteousness, justice, grace, and love. We help the world to see that God is a God who wants a relationship with them. This is what these good works are all about. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20 says, So we are Christ's ambassadors. We are making his appeal. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So these good works, they're meant to display the character of God to a watching world, and they they should lead us to proclaim the gospel to a watching world. Many of you are familiar with the quote attributed to St. Francis. I hear pastors kind of do fly-by, like bombings of this quote all the time. I really i think it's a great quote. Um, it's put in context. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Esau McCulley, I think he builds off of that quote even more. I love this quote. He says, Christian charity, good works, Christian charity is a recovery of the imitation of Christ's ministry of healing as a sign of the coming kingdom. It is done not to replace the need for teaching about the Christian faith. It is another form of it. This is what these good works are meant for. They are another form of proclaiming the gospel to a watching world. Yes, we preach the gospel with words, but we also preach the gospel with good works. Our good works should include things like justice. Justice for the unborn, for the abused, for the sexually assaulted, for the immigrant, for the widow, for the orphan. Notice how the good works that God has prepared in advance, they don't fit neatly into political boxes. God has not called us to be a part of political ideologies, of building political ideologies. He's been, He's called us to build the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God cares about all of those things. And so, we have good works specifically meant to to proclaim that with our actions and with our words. It should involve responsible stewardship of God's creation, extending forgiveness to those who don't deserve deserve it and just generally loving people the way that you would want to be loved. Christian faith isn't that difficult to understand. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Every single believer has a unique part to play in showing God off to the world. So, now that we know that God has specific works prepared for each of us to do, and the purpose of those works are to point people to the character of God to help people understand who God is and what he's like now how do we discover our specific works the reality is there's only one of you that's uh, that's a line that i put in my notes and i knew that when i said it people would agree with it but they wouldn't let it sink in so let's stop and like let's let that sink in for a second you are unique God created you on purpose for such a time as this. He put you in your family, in your workplace, at your school, in your job, in your neighborhood, on purpose and for a reason. And here's what I know as a preacher. I've been preaching long enough to know that that a lot of you hear that and you say, yeah, 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 I agree with it. But, like, let it sink in you. God created you on purpose for a reason. You have specific good works that he has prepared in advance for you to do. He has given you unique skills, gifts, experiences, followers of Jesus. You've been given a spiritual gift from the Holy Spirit to use for his kingdom purposes. You have a circle of influence. You know people that I will never know. You have relationships with people that I'll never get to meet. Your job is to discover ways in which you can demonstrate God's kingdom to them through good works. I can't do the good works that God prepared for you. You have to do the works that God prepared for you. I love how the ESV translates this. It says uh, that God created good works that you should walk in them. I think there's like this there's like this progressive idea like, step by step, uncovering these unique good works that God has prepared. When I was in... I don't know why this always comes up, but they say be yourself, and so golf just keeps coming up, right? But it always happens. When I, it's an idol, maybe. Um, when I was in college, we uh, I loved golf, but I was too poor to play golf all the time, because golf is expensive and college is expensive, and so... Um, my buddies and I, we, we invented this thing. Well, we probably didn't invent it, but we thought we invented it. It was called Campus Golf. We had these little yellow styrofoam balls that go about one-third the distance of a regular golf ball. And we would take out a couple of irons. And eventually, it, this we got so excited about this that it evolved into me and my buddy, we designed an entire 18-hole golf course that started from my dorm room, the front of my dorm room, and ended at the back of my dorm room. Pretty elaborate stuff, right? But I share this story because it was like it evolved. Like we started, we loved this thing. We had this passion. We had this thing that we wanted to do. And we started where we were starting from, our dorm room. And slowly and progressively, like we just let the the land show us where the hole was. And we knew where we wanted to start, and we knew where we wanted to end, and the rest was all up to just creativity. And I say that because I think that's what this process of discovering good works looks like for each of us. It starts with who we are and where we are, and it ends with where we know where we want to go. We want to display the character of God to a watching world. And so from knowing where we're starting and knowing where we want to end, then we just prayerfully ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the ways in which we might display God to a watching world. I think there's two elements to these good works. There's daily good works, and then there's seasons of good works. Daily, I'm, can I be honest with you? I don't care what you say. I'm going to say yes anyway. You guys know how this works. You know how this works. I'm really bad at this daily good work thing because I have an agenda. I have a schedule. I have things that I feel like I need to accomplish in that day, and if something gets in the way of me accomplishing those things, I get frustrated. Man, but what if? What if God puts somebody in your path tomorrow? that he's asking you to do a good work for. That he has prepared from before the foundations of creation, he has made this thing happen where this person is going to cross your path, and you're so busy and so focused on your schedule and the things that you have to get accomplished that you miss an opportunity that God has prepared for you to demonstrate his kingdom to this person. This is the thing that I think God needs me to focus on the most daily, waking up and saying, God, what is it that you might have for me to do today? May we, may we do that. May we wake up, spend time with God, and ask that question. What is it that you have for me to do today? And the second is, is seasonal. What are we going to give our lives to? What are you going to give your teenage years to? What are you going to give your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, your retirement to? I think that God has intentional ministry opportunities for each of us. What are those unique areas of ministry that God is calling you to serve in during this season of your life? Be intentional about seeking those things out. I felt called into church ministry at 16, and it was a long process of prayer and exploration and asking people and and discerning and testing and trying. And I still to this day feel called to ministry. But I gotta be open to the Holy Spirit directing me in a different direction. Each season of each time. And so maybe you're here and you just you know down to your socks who God's called you to be. You have a specific ministry, you know how you can serve God, and I'm just here to say, Great job and keep it up. But maybe you're here and you're like, you know what, I've never really thought about me being called into ministry. I don't know what that looks like. I volunteer at the church when people say they need volunteers, but like I don't know what my calling is. I don't know what my specific ministry is. How, how can I discern these good works that God might be calling me to? I got five things for you. And they're general. Um, and so it's going to, you know, take some time. But these are the things that I would ask you to think about, to focus on. Number one is your personality. What are you good at? What do you like to do? Who do you like to spend time with? Where has God placed you in your life? It seems like something small and insignificant, but it's not. Again, God created you on purpose, for a purpose. He placed you where you're at, intentionally, for a reason. How might your personality, the things that you like to do, your passions, how might that lead into the specific ministry that God has? Is calling you to. Number two is opportunities. Where do you go to church? Where do you live, work, and play? What physical and spiritual needs exist in your community that you might be able to meet? We all have unique opportunities. Our community has needs. And so often I think, I think what happens is we get We just get so reactionary. We just do the next thing that needs to be done without really stepping back and asking God, what do you have for me to do? And I wonder if we don't actually get in the way and do other people's good works because we're just being reactionary. What opportunities do you have? What opportunities does our community have? How can we as individuals meet those needs and how can we as a local church meet those needs? Three spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit has gifted you in ways that the Holy Spirit hasn't gifted me. Discover those spiritual gifts. Seek out an understanding of what they are and how God might be. Why did God give you those gifts? You specifically. What does he want to empower you to do? Number four, listening prayer. For, for my Baptists, and Presbyterian friends in the room, this one's difficult. We like to talk pray. We don't like to listen pray. <laughs> it can be uncomfortable. I speak from experience. May we learn to pray and intentionally listen to what God might have to say to us. God, what what are you calling me to? What good works do you have for me to do? And as we input all of those things, may we Finally, and lastly, seek godly advice. As we discover and spend time honestly seeking out what those things are, go to somebody you trust, somebody that loves the Lord, and say, hey, I, I feel like I feel like these are some things that I'm good at. I feel like here's a need that I can meet in our community. What do you think? Do you think I'd be good at that? Do you think I could accomplish something bigger than myself outside of myself? And don't ask too many people right? And try it out. Because you might think and your friends might think that this is something that you're good at, and then it might drain you so much because it's not your good work. Let's do this process together. Again, remember, it's in the context of our local church? How can we create ministries based on our skill sets, gifts, passions, abilities, based on the needs of our community? How can we build the kingdom of God uniquely? What are our good works? A couple of of final cautionary tales. Don't do somebody else's good work. Uh, I talked about the demoniac earlier. Jesus heals the guy. And he says, I want to be your disciple. I want to get in the boat and follow you. I want to go where you go. I want to do what you do. That sounds like a really great thing, right? Okay, Jesus says, Nope, that's not for you to do. I've got my disciples. I need you to go back to the Decapolis, to the 10 cities that you have unique influence over. I need you to go do that good work. If Jesus let him do a different good work, he would have missed out on his specific opportunity. Maybe it's not your gifting. Or maybe it is your gifting, but it's somebody else's job to do. Second cautionary tale. Just because it's not being done doesn't mean you have to do it. Just because it's not being done doesn't mean you have to do it. So many churches in America, 100% of the work is being done by 20% of the people. And you might, you might hear that, and you might think, yeah, I'm one of the 20%, and It's awesome. No, it's not. You're doing something you're not supposed to be doing. You're taking an opportunity from somebody else to do the thing that God has called them to do. And maybe they need you to not do it for a couple of months for them to realize that it's actually their good work to do. So don't do everything. Do the thing God's calling you to do. Don't compare your good works to other people's good works. Here's what tends to happen. We tend to either overvalue our gifts and we get self-righteous and we're like, we're doing, we're doing the real kingdom work here. My ministry is the more important ministry. And we look at other people and we think, man, I wish they would come help me because my thing's more important. Or the other thing that we do is we self-deprecate. We're like, man, all I do is like clean up after the kids. I wish I could, like, design a stage. Everybody sees the stage design. Nobody sees me vacuuming up the kids' classroom, right? No. Each good work that God has prepared, he has prepared uniquely for the person that he's calling to do it. And that's all the affirmation you need. God has prepared it for you, and you walk in obedience because of what he has done for you. That's it. Don't compare yourself to other people. Every believer has an individual part to play. And like I said, it's both individual and corporate. We're coming together as individual puzzle pieces to create God's masterpiece. He's using it to demonstrate his kingdom to a watching world. His kingdom that has already come and is to come one final time. That's how Dr. Tony Evans puts it. He says, Our job as members of the church is to live in a way that shows the world a clear picture of the kingdom and that all things fall underneath the Lord Jesus. The church should present to the broader culture a working illustration of God's solutions to the problems the culture faces. See those good works? We're we're giving the kingdom of God to our city in a way that they need it. We're looking around at the needs of the community, and we're presenting them with the solution of God's kingdom. People who want to see heaven at work on earth should be able to discover it in the church. The church is to be the visible manifestation of the kingdom in history. Every single believer... Has a part to play in showing God off to the world. The kingdom of God has come. Jesus has established it through his resurrection, yet he invites us to be a part of it. There's like this this already-not-yet type of thing that's happening. God has built his kingdom, and he is building his kingdom, and he is doing it through you and through me. You guys have probably noticed these people coming up on stage and coloring a picture. Why are they doing that? And why is Ryan just acting like it's normal? Because it's weird. It's not normal. <laughs> we have um, a picture here that's being colored. It's a color by number. Anybody ever done color by number? Color by number fun, right? It's a picture of a church underneath the cross. And it's meant to resemble this already not yet thing that happens with these good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. God is building his kingdom. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It will be accomplished. With or without you or me. He will do it. But he invites us to be part of it. He calls us to this unique good work like this color by number picture. Barrett drew the picture. The picture's done. It's already finished. The colors have been laid out. But we get to come up, and we get to bring our unique expression to it. We get to participate in the thing that God is doing. Every believer has a part to play in showing God off to the world. If you're in here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope that this, again, again, past the vision of what salvation really is. It's not just praying a prayer so that you can go somewhere when you die. It's submitting yourself to the authority of Jesus. Because He knows what's best for you better than you know what's best for you. And if we would submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus, if you personally, maybe you're in here and you've never done that before, or maybe you've done that a long time ago and you've walked away and you've come back to this place where you're just living for yourself. You're being invited and to participate in this incredible thing that God is doing through each and every one of us. Don't waste your life on yourself. Submit yourself to Jesus. He has abundant life for you. If you're in here and you're a follower of Jesus, You have unique good works that God has created for you. If you're in here and you're over the social security age, let me tell you this this morning. You don't get to retire from good works. I know you're tired. I know life's been hard. God has unique good works for you to do. The kids in Michelle's classroom that have submitted themselves to Jesus and been baptized, they have good works that only they can do in their elementary class. Parents, remind them of this. Encourage them. So we're going to take communion here in just a minute. And on the communion tables, you're going to see empty silver plates. As you take the, the bread and the juice, I'd invite you, if you're here and you say, I, you know what? I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I am going to submit this to Jesus. I'm going to drop, drop your puzzle piece in the tray as a symbolic way of saying, God, you have prepared good works for me to do. I acknowledge that I am your masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for unique good works that you have prepared in advance for me. I'm going to intentionally and regularly look for those opportunities to display your kingdom to a watching world. Drop that puzzle piece in, grab your bread, grab your juice, and it's a It's an exchange, right? It's like this is being built because of God's body broken and his blood shed. But I have a piece to play in it. Drop your puzzle pieces and keep your crown. Put your crown somewhere that's going to remind you that you have a unique piece to play in this whole thing. All right. So.